Hey, it's Brent Leary. It's Wednesday today, right? Yeah, it's Wednesday. And it's like really cold and damp here in the <laughs> Atlanta area. Um, but my guest, the co-founder and CEO of Vidyard, this is going to be the first time I have a guest coming to me via Costa Rica. So, Michael, thank you for joining me, man. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm uh, very happy to be here. I would be happy to be there, too. I, <laughs> I mean, here in this virtual space, but, but also here in this physical space. Absolutely. I, look, I see the sun just shining brightly, and you just told me that it's in the 90s there. It's unbelievable. Enjoy it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm, uh, I'm finally getting used to it coming uh, from the depths of our Canadian winter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you know what the weather is back home? It's uh, it's getting nicer. It's getting nicer. I uh, I was talking to Marcy, my VP marketing, who uh, was planning on riding her bike over to a team lunch today. So, but uh, interestingly enough, she said uh, there's still a lot of ice on the road, and so she's going to have to be careful. So it's one of those uh, ambitiously uh, <laughs> slightly slightly warmer than winter days where everybody wants to get outside, but of course everything's still frozen and there's still snow on the ground. I know who you're talking about. Marcy DeBosey, right? Yep, you got it. You know how I know her? I'm curious. <laughs> back in her Blackberry days. Yep. This goes back, oh my God, we're talking like 2006, seven. She uh, got me um, involved with some of the promotional things that were going on with uh, Blackberry. So I, I think I did two different uh, road shows uh, with her, speaking about mobility and small business, and they were launching a couple of different devices. So Marcy, uh, yeah, I, wow, that's amazing how things just come full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's small world in tech, and, and uh, you know, BlackBerry had such a massive influence on everything that was developed in the water of the region. I spent some time there as well. Might be familiar with Kyle Lassard, who yes. uh, leads a lot of our external marketing initiatives, and uh, yeah, that was the glory days, 2006, 2007. That was that was like BlackBerry Curve, BlackBerry Bold era, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, he's, you have one. Oh my word, <laughs> is that that's a BlackBerry Bold? I believe it, it, with the, uh, it's never the been open. See, oh the, my gosh, it, it's never been. Open. That's a museum piece. That uh, <laughs> that might be worth something to uh, some of these diehard keyboard enthusiasts. I'm going to put it up on world. eBay or something. I don't know. But <laughs> in the meantime, it's a pleasure to talk with you now. I've, I've actually had Tyler on uh, maybe this a couple of years ago talking about some of the things that were going on with video before. This is definitely before the pandemic. So it's cool to have you on because I would love to kind of see and get your perspective of how the adoption of video, particularly, you know, B2B, B2C, I know you guys do B2B a lot, um, but how has the use of video evolved from the beginning of the pandemic to where we are today, just like at a high level? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Brent. There's a, there's a few angles that I can, I can take this from. Um, I think the, the first and likely most relatable is that everyone all of a sudden 
had to get comfortable using video, not necessarily uh, asynchronous and, and recorded video, uh, but specifically the process of being on camera and, and having live communications like this. And the difference between the way we use video in this context and the way we existed pre-pandemic is that all of a sudden everybody started looking at themselves all day long. And one of the biggest limiting factors to people using video prior to the pandemic, and, and I think it still exists, is this discomfort with seeing yourself on camera, this discomfort with hearing your own voice, with seeing yourself talk. Um, you know, the easy, easy solve for that is to turn off self-view and Zoom, um, but you know, not too many people do that. And so it forced a generation that was uncomfortable with video to get comfortable with video in order to continue being productive. And that accelerated the use of video in all formats, I think from B2C and B2B internal and external communication across organizations. Um, so that's probably one of, the, one of the bigger trends. Now I will say we have almost seen a generational divide. The next generation of buyers and sellers you know, come from the land of consumers where they're, let's call them Gen Zs or Gen Zs, they're spending time on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you name it. And all of those products are primarily driven by asynchronous video communication. And that's communicating with friends, that's communicating with brands. And so that generation coming into the buying and selling workplace always anticipated and wanted video to be a part of that and adopted our technologies much faster than older generations, realistically. However, again, back to my previous point, the pandemic accelerated everyone's opportunity to use video. What we've seen you know, as an evolutionary process via the pandemic is that we have a lot of customer facing teams that initially felt like, okay, we're gonna use synchronous video. We're gonna talk to our customers via Zoom. But then of course, Zoom fatigue set in and people were spending all day in synchronous video meetings and experiences and so started to look for ways of engaging on an asynchronous basis and text and email, et cetera, worked, but asynchronous video, AKA recorded video is a really great way of still establishing your personal brand, your personality, but on the terms that your customer is willing to receive those, which is in their inbox when they're able to watch it. And if you think about a, a modern sales organization pre pandemic, you know, they were spending time in the field. Uh, they were going to visit customers, it was steak dinners, it was golf games. It was what I now coin traditional selling. There was massive budgets, travel and entertainment budgets associated to those behaviors that all of a sudden weren't being spent. So those budgets went to zero and CFOs rejoiced and took a small percentage of that money and gave it to the sales organization to invest in technologies such as sales cadence solutions, um, you know, easier methods of, of profiling customers, things like asynchronous video, which is what we do at Vidyard, and found that they were able to have more touch points per day and be more productive at a fraction of the cost of the sales process. And so what really ended up happening is this evolution from field selling and being in the field and traveling and spending time with, with customers, um, uh, this evolution happened from that to doing that inside and using technology for what it's designed for, and giving people more flexibility in their day to interact asynchronously, to watch content when they watch, when they want. And I think that's a mega trend that's left the world in likely a much better place, notwithstanding current events. So 
that's, you know, a pretty substantial evolution that was accelerated. And I think, you know, it would have taken probably 10 years, but it was accelerated in the span of, of two years. And we see those habits persisting today. I'm just popping up this comment from my buddy, Alan, actually Alan in snowy New York today, apparently. Uh, steak dinners. Now you can switch that budget over to home studios. And I know he's kind of being funny, but is that a trend? Are you, is that part of the cutting of the budget over here, spending some of that cut over here in terms of letting these traditional sales folks, you know, reach more people by having a little bit more of this, like a nice little studio, nice looking setup, engagement and record it and use to get even more engagement down the line. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, I love that comment, uh, Steak Dinners at Home Studios. I mean, uh, a customer visit, you know, and I, I, I'll use a very, uh, very clear example. I flew from Toronto to New York on March 16th, 2020 for one meeting. And it took me, I left my front door at 3.30 a.m., and I walked back in that door at 1.30 a.m. the following day. And so just under a 24-hour period of my life for one one-hour meeting, a flight that cost, I think, $650 round trip, and a lunch meeting that cost probably somewhere in the area of $150 to $200, um, plus all of the unproductivity of being on a plane, being in transit, not meeting with other people, not being able to stack your day the way we do now in 30 minute increments of, of just sheer productivity. So the total cost of that trip easily, easily goes into the two to $3,000 range when you add in the productivity benefits, et cetera, which just so happens to be roughly the cost of getting a DSLR camera, a nice lens, a laptop stand, a ring light, and the things you need to create very good quality video experiences at home. And the reality is that is, that's an investment, right? That investment carries forward. And I will never again make that trip to New York for that one meeting because I've invested in this high quality experience. I can have that meeting that lasts one hour and immediately after that, get into something internal, get into talking to another partner, any other customer and all that activity loss no longer happens. So the relative efficiency here is, is absolutely incredible. This is always the promise of technology. It's lowering the cost of these, of these interactions. And so, yeah, there's been a, a massive investment here. And, and the other piece I'd, I, I would comment on, you know, when you meet in person, um, that meeting is fleeting, that memory ultimately disappears. But when you're meeting in digital context, these uh, experiences can be recorded. If you're thinking about a sales process, not everybody's available to be in the room while you record that zoom meeting that meeting is now available for those who weren't present to view it and watch it and as a sales rep for instance that means that you basically leave this kind of lasting version of yourself that sells when you're on to something else and so the productivity increase of using recorded video um, notwithstanding you know being able to stack meetings is absolutely incredible which is why I think this is the way organizations are choosing to do business moving forwards. And, you know, just over the last year, we saw a 300% increase in user, in user growth. Wow. Talk a little bit about, you know, you, you mentioned the meetings, 
And I mean, it's hard to argue with, you know, not only the dollar amount saved, but the actual time saved and better spent time instead of one meeting to New York, which means it's going to be pretty much one meeting, not much else you can do, as opposed to, as you said, you can have a number of appointments via video call, have great conversations, have those recorded. People can go back to them. People can just share them and distribute them. And it really does kind of transform the way, not only, generally speaking, collaboration and, and things are done, but the way salespeople sell, the way marketing people market, um, just overall engagement. What are the things that people still don't get right or don't take into consideration when they start using this kind of approach, using vi video to engage? Some people get excited because it looks pretty cool. It looks nice. I don't have to get on a plane. I don't have to do X amount of different things. But what things do they not understand or they not fully bake into this before they jump into using this kind of approach? Yeah, I think that's a really, a really great uh, uh, question and perspective. One, I think you have to be concise. Uh, there's no question about it. Our lives have become incredibly transactional through the pandemic. And because of this ability of stacking meetings and moving on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, people have too many meetings in their day. They're, they're too tied up in, in, in stuff. Um, whereas we used to have that time and space between meetings and travel just to think and just to process. A lot of us have filled that with more meetings, more perceived productivity, et cetera. And so what that means is when you're stepping into the arena of asynchronous video, you have to keep that in mind. And it's a tool that you need to leverage for very concise, very impactful moments in the process. And so a really great example of this is, you know, I'm running a sales process that's going to involve communicating with a customer via SMS, via email, via recorded video, and via synchronous video. These are kind of the, the four main channels that I'm using. Um, and you'll notice that I haven't included meeting in person. Um, you know, SMS and text are, are uh, great ways of just, you know, quick, hey, how you doing? Quick updates. You know, maybe we're trying to coordinate an easy meeting. Um, what we're doing there is, is creating a, a touch point inside of a new channel, a new context with the customer, right? They've got their phone on them at all times. Um, if you can build that relationship and get to that point of sending text messages, et cetera, that's an incredibly productive method of, of building those types of relationships. Um, email is used for longer form engagements and is a method of sharing those asynchronous video, video files, um, is a method of sharing the recordings of those synchronous meetings. And each one of those touch points has to be I think relevant to where you're at in the sales process. And it isn't an invitation to send them an hour long video recording uh, and a walkthrough demo that the customer didn't necessarily ask for. And so you have to apply a lot of the same kind of figurative concepts to the way you would run a process and a customer engagement process uh, in person 
uh, to using these asynchronous tools. Um, but the beautiful thing about them is that you get the chance to re-record uh, what you said. You get the chance to practice. You get the chance to be concise. And the difference between that and a boardroom meeting is that there's no do-overs in a, in a boardroom meeting. You go into that meeting and you, and you, you know, botch it. That's it. That's your single chance. But you record a video that doesn't sound quite right. Maybe you're being a little too verbose, not concise enough. It's really easy to recreate that. Um, I would say another big factor is, you know, just making sure that, you know, your, your thumb is in the place where you open your laptop. You know, every single day when you open that laptop, get a quick, you know, terry cloth and make sure you clean that off so that your image is a little bit sharper. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can have something interesting in your backdrop or in your surroundings, if you have the space or ability to do that, or you can move around in your house with your laptop, that's a great thing as well. Uh, they will walk and talk video recorded on a phone, you know, a little bit of motion in the background adds a little bit of engagement with that kind of concise messaging um, that you can practice in your neighborhood and, and you know, look like that person who's recording selfie videos. It's always fun. Um, using visuals, right? Screen recording. That's a very, very powerful tool uh, to, to do a, a quick walkthrough. Using videos that you didn't even record. Do you, does your company have a great customer case study that you can send uh, and it's the customer telling a story instead of you? There's so many different methods and, and, and ways of being creative with video content. I think just sitting in front of your webcam and you know, reading from a script is to not do service to the capability of, of adding your personality and creating that personal connection you know, from where you live without having to be on the road. Seems like there's a lot more opportunity to really understand the effectiveness of, the, of this this video. How can people, or how are maybe some of your customers, what kind of metrics are they using to see what the impact is of kind of this evolution of face-to-face -face selling to this digital engagement approach? I mean, we all know the end, you know, the ultimate statistic is the closed sale. But what are some of the other places that the process is being measured as you see more and more people go from face-to-face -to, -face to this virtual approach and then putting video as one of the key components of that. Yeah, that's a great, uh, a great comment, Brent. Um, so you know, the one thing that digital technologies in the communication stack allow us to do is capture an understanding of who's clicking those links who's opening them, how much time they're spending in them. And, you know, we've been able to do that with emails. We've been able to do that with links and emails. We've been able to do the white papers, et cetera, for a very long period of time. The difference with video is that we can see exactly how much of that piece of content was watched and by whom, which sections of it were rewatched, et cetera. And because video is such a comprehensive medium, because it is so effective at telling a story, and sharing visual, uh, visuals and taking someone through a journey, that data is incredibly important. We, we call that digital body language. And so that's a massive, massive component. And you know, your point around the close one deal is, is very accurate. And me being able to open Salesforce and seeing that this deal was one, you know, means the rep did all the productive things, but being able to see on that account record, which videos were viewed in the process, which customer case studies were effective and totally consumed by the customer and shared by the customer because that helps marketing understand 
you know, their investment in those types of resources, um, you know, which sellers are sending videos that the prospect is, is watching that's attached to a more successful close rate. How are those sellers communicating in those videos versus ones who are maybe being less productive and less successful? Um, we've got an upcoming integration with Gong, which is going to start to surface some of the material that's being shared uh, and talked about inside of video for the purposes of, of better rep coaching. So the cool thing about video is that it, again, gives you this express uh, piece of information from what the buyer or the consumer is telling you based on how much of it they watch. But the evolution is that we're going to be able to provide coaching via this Gong integration to, to better help. Uh, uh, sellers and, and communicators tell their story and learn how to become better at the craft of it based on the data that comes from those viewers as well. So it's a really, really exciting future. Are we going to see, or maybe you guys are already working on it, um, kind of this real-time assistant, like almost a, a, a video slash video sales assistant where they're in the midst of engaging having a meeting having a call with a prospect or a customer and somehow some of these i don't know these metrics or these signals that are going on in the midst of this engagement are we going to be able to see like in real time wow these five signals just came in we should have maybe a next best best action that says, why don't you talk about this? Or why don't you show this? Or why don't you run this clip right now? Because we think, based on our data, if you run this clip right now to this person, you have like an 80% chance of closing, something like that. Are, are we going to see that? I think so. I think without question. Um, you know, it's funny. We ran a, uh, a fun Halloween campaign uh, where uh, we basically uh, profiled a, a, a seller with a sales AI that gets added to a Zoom call, just like Gong or Chorus or, or any of these applications for sales loft get added to a Zoom call. Uh, but the AI had its own voice and uh, got introduced to the, to the buyer. And uh, by the end of this kind of small 10-minute long uh, kind of spoof video, um, the AI has locked the sales rep out of the house and is just totally running the day and totally <laughs> running the sales conversations um, because of course the house has a, has an automated lock uh, with a ring camera outside. And, you know, the whole household is, is kind of fully automated and rich with the AI. Um, that's probably a, an extreme dystopian version of that, but there's no doubt that if these applications can tell you in a kind of post-call environment where you were successful, how much time you spent listening, you know, what tools you use, the things you said, how you presented pricing, uh, et cetera, they can do that during the conversation as well. And, you know, we're at a stage where the computational capabilities of, of, of these computers and the sheer amount of data that they have in their learning systems can start to surface these recommendations. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if it already does exist and I just am not aware of it, uh, but I would suggest that this type of thing is, is coming relatively soon. Um, because we have the data and we have the technology and now it's just marrying that up with, with the appropriate experience. Nice. Maybe talk about, you guys have thousands of customers right across a lot of different industries. Are there any particular industries that 
maybe people would overlook as being good with using video to engage. But are, are there any surprises in your customer base in terms of who is doing this right? Who's really gotten ahead of the curve and is being really successful with this? Perhaps the most surprising um, is financial services. And the reason I would say that's very surprising is because it's a very kind of highly regulated um, industry that has high kind of needs for compliance. And this is a good thing, right? If you think about a financial advisor, you know, who's giving you some pro stock tips, et cetera, um, you know, you, you really want to protect the end consumer if there's incentives or, or back channel reasons for them to do that. Um, the reason, the other reason I think this is so interesting is because, you know, banks had long standing plans around change management to go to uh, work from home and remote engagement environments. And I was talking to a, uh, a very uh, senior individual at a large bank uh, just a few weeks ago who said that their bank had a 10 year plan that was accelerated into six months because of the pandemic. They figured out how everyone could work from home. They figured out how their advisors and their customer facing individuals could better engage uh, with their clients. And of course, in a business to consumer environment that a lot of these um, uh, financial institutions are in, video works really well because you're building confidence uh, and you're building confidence between the bank, an individual who represents the bank and the buyer or the, the person who's trusting their, their financials with that that individual and it's very difficult to do over email it's very difficult to do over text it's much easier to do over video um, and back to the compliance and regulatory environment we have a, a strong partner called theta lake um, that actually inserts themselves between the process of an advisor creating a video and the consumer seeing it to ensure that all the regulatory requirements are met uh, before that video gets released. And this is already done with email, et cetera, from a lot of these institutions, but that's what keeps the consumer safe. So the technology was there to drive this new behavior. And because the bank was forced to go remote because of the pandemic, they accelerated their adoption, but it makes sense in the context of, of this trusted and considered purchasing process that a lot of financial services organizations are, are part of. I wouldn't have guessed that, but it makes a total amount of sense when you put it like yeah. that. Um, Alan has a question. It's interesting. Setting up a good video is not trivial. That is definitely the case. How do you see hardware vendors adjusting, if at all? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Alan. I mean, I'm using a Sony uh, A6400 digital SLR with a nice lens on a on a tripod with a, a cam link card. Um, and it's a pretty comprehensive setup that has a lot of cables and is very expensive. Uh, and the reality is the piece of this entire kit that I need most is the lens. Um, we have the capability, the hardware capability of capturing a high quality image on a sensor that's relatively cost effective. You, know, you look at your really high end Logitech cameras and a lot of what's, what's coming out in the space, um, you know, those cameras are are very capable, but they're not able to create this kind of bokeh effect or depth of field effect that this type of lens is able to uh, with the autofocus of, of the camera. Um, so I'm surprised, frankly, that there hasn't been a much cheaper, more accessible version 
of this setup I'm using that doesn't require the, the, the cam link, that doesn't require that the heavy DSLR and the kind of fragility of it um, and is much easier to set up in the working environment. I, I totally believe there's an opportunity there, something that has integrated lighting as, as well. Um, that's just plug and play. I, uh, I feel like that is a, a big missing link. Um, with respect to audio, I'm using a pair of, uh, of AirPods only because there's actually some construction going on around the building I'm in and otherwise you would be able to hear it. Uh, but, you know, modern MacBooks, which is, is uh, the type of machine I'm on, have really high quality, high fidelity built-in microphones. I'm actually very surprised. And in fact, the built-in webcam, I don't know if I could uh, potentially switch to it here on the fly. Uh, I'm trying to, yeah, the built-in webcam here you know, it's actually pretty, Looks pretty good great, quality. Actually. Yeah, maybe we'll <laughs> stick with that. So this is possibly a better experience than the one I was already using. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a built in uh, hardware accelerated module that lets me do this kind of background filtering bokeh effect. It's off. There it is. Now it's on. Uh, so I think hardware providers are getting there and this integrated experience is quite good. Um, but of course, you want to create something really impactful, really high quality, and you want to go to this type of kind of cinematic experience. I'm in mean, now. It requires uh, some expensive hardware, and I think some cheaper hardware is coming. The challenge is hardware development cycles are much longer than software development cycles, and so getting a product to this point that's plug and play, you know, could be a two-year cycle, and we just haven't seen these things come to market as of yet. Wow, that's great. So. I have a Sony A6400. I'm not using it right now, but I have that. And the reason I got that is for the great autofocus, as you mentioned. I'm actually yeah. using a Blackmagic uh, 6, yeah, Pocket Cinema Camera 6, 6K. I got that. I also have the latest uh, MacBook Pro. I'm not using you know, the, the webcam on that. And I'm not using the audio because I'm using my uh, Electro Voice EV20 mic. But yeah, this stuff gets crazy. I've got, I just literally got in a new um, Beacon. I think it's Beacon. B-E-A-C-N, Beacon. Uh, mic, USB mic. And this Go XLR kind of audio interface for it. I Because I'm setting up a a different setup that's going to be based on windows. And I don't even want to tell you how much I've spent on lights and things like that. And yeah. Alan, Alan knows this because I, I think I started him down the technology rabbit hole a little bit too, but yeah, only geeks really want to get into it to that level. Most people, most regular folks, just what, give me a button. I just want to push the button and let everything else happen. But yeah, it's going to take a while before it gets there. But one last question I want to ask you. Yeah, no worries. Focus, the focus right now is on streaming. It's on TikTok. It's because that gets so many views and people are, you know, they're enamored with the views and how many people can look, will look. So to a certain extent, is asynchronous video kind of getting overshadowed because all the attention that's on the live streaming and in these, these really popular platforms and how should people make sure that they have the right mix of 
you know, streaming like we're doing here, but also having this asynchronous piece of the puzzle. Because it feels like all the energy is around, you know, the streaming aspect. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. I mean, I think that if you think about the consumer lens, uh, live is a way of creating a more intimate experience with your viewers, but it's not the way to go viral, right? So live is your, your fans, your viewers, the individuals that tune into this experience that are here right now in a more intimate experience where they can engage with us uh, and feel like, you know, they're sitting in this room watching us, you know, have a, a interesting chat about gear and video technologies. Uh, but this asset is recorded and then becomes an asynchronous asset that can be viewed at a later date. And so if something in this went viral, uh, then this, this video could essentially live on. So I think the first thing to, to mention here is uh, it's important to connect your synchronous experiences to your asynchronous experiences. Secondly, virality can only happen with respect to asynchronous experiences. Um, it has to be a video that can be shared, that can be viewed at any time because virality happens in kind of an accelerated pace over a long period of time, right? A few people watch it, those people share with those people, more people share, more people share, more people share, and that's how you get that exponential viral curve on content. Uh, it's really difficult to make that happen live because the, 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 the time it requires for that sharing cycle to really gear up, um, you know, by the time that happens, the, the live experience could ultimately be over. Um, so that's kind of the high level perspective on synchronous and asynchronous. But what I would say is, you know, if you're a, a sales rep, if you are trying to better engage with your prospects, going viral is not the objective. Um, building a brand on social media, on LinkedIn, as a professional, you know, very much is a smart objective for any modern sales rep. Uh, we've got a handful that are amazing at producing content on LinkedIn and have gone viral. And that's a primary method that they generate their own pipeline, which is great to see. But the most important thing is you want your content and video seen by the right individuals. And if you're an industry that, you know, might only have a thousand customers in the world that, you know, you only sell to say the fortune 1000, you want the executives and the decision makers at that fortune 1000 to be your content, which mean, means you might have a total audience in the 100,000 viewer range at most, but every single one of those views could be worth tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to your business. And so going viral shouldn't be the objective. The objective should always be getting the right content to the right person at the right time. And that comes with experience, that comes with using a whole slew of tools, such as things like LinkedIn Live, recorded video, uh, SMS, uh, video delivered via email, et cetera, um, to make sure that you're hitting those prospects at the frequency in their process that brings you front of mind, that allows you to express your personality and, uh, and allows you to go kind of viral and micro components inside of the organization as they're making the buying decision. Because I'll tell you, uh, a sales professional with the right message delivered in the right way, supporting the right product that's using video will always be the sales individual that has the, the same things, but is not using video because their personality, their passion for what they're doing is not visible in text. It's not visible in other methods of asynchronous communication, but is the only way to show that you're really, really and truly passionate about what you're talking about. 
and uh, it's hard to ignore the power of of telling stories and, and seeing people's faces as they do it. Awesome. Well, one thing I hope we get to this not just for you specifically, but you guys have this great video platform. One of the things I think is kind of the missing element in a lot of this stuff. Um, let's say you do, I'll just take me for example. I'm not, not the traditional salesperson, but I do, a, I would say between three to four hours of video, live stream video um, a week. Now, not even I would watch every minute of those, of those videos. It's just way too much. But I'll take a 60 minute you know, show. I know that within that 60 minutes, there are at least two to three, if not more, two minute segments that would really be interesting to somebody out there. One of the things that I think would be great is to have the AI somehow, and it takes a lot of context and a lot of data, to somehow process an hour-long video and pull out the two-minute clips that would be easy or easier for folks to consume. They're not scared off of, oh, my God, you want me to sit here and watch 60 minutes of this, of you? <laughs> but if I give you two minutes that hit right home to what's important to you today, that might be what gets you to watch the other 58 minutes. Are we getting closer to like the AI and automation being able to process like a long form video and, and pull out really key two minute clips that we can then easily distribute and get people even more interested in checking out the full sales pitch or the, feel, the full story, so to speak? The short answer is yes. I mean, one of the, the benefits of modern video streaming technology is that you can easily, and the brain can easily digest content faster than you and I are communicating right now. And so someone could watch this recording at 2x the speed and, you know, pick up the conversation with 99% accuracy. Um, the evolution of that is exactly as you described. How do you contextually deliver the information that the consumer is going to be interested in. And the first phase of that uh, in the kind of evolutionary life cycle of tech is giving the viewer the option of essentially clicking what it is in the video that they want to see. And so we are experimenting and are just launching this chaptering functionality, which is exactly that. When you click play on a video, you can see the chapters. Now those chapters have to be automatically edited in by the video creator, um, so you can jump around. I do a Friday update for the team. It's roughly eight to 10 minutes long. If people only care about the section on our latest product results or latest uh, product deliverables, they can click that section and just watch that you know, two minute section on 2X speed and spend one minute in the video getting exactly what they want. Because those individuals are making that choice, there's a system that can learn the preferences based on those content tags for the audience that that video is designated for and over time can collect enough data to just automatically serve up what it believes to be 
that viewer's choice. There will always be errors, of course, because there's always outliers in the data set. You know, people sit in a nominal distribution curve and on either end of those will always be missed by an AI. That's why there's always going to be a requirement for choice. But, you know, this is the framework that we can use to think about the automation of high quality content directly to the consumer based on what they want to see. And yes, we are absolutely taking steps towards that future because we want everyone to be more efficient and everyone to achieve a better, you know, uh, relationship between work and the balance of life, because I think we all work too much. And, uh, and, you know, AI and the promise of AI should be to give us the ability to spend more time in critical thought, spend more time with our families uh, and less time, you know, sifting through information that we don't need. Awesome. I, I, I really appreciate that answer. I was thinking about how transcription services has transformed and evolved. I you know, five years ago, I was doing a lot of buying hand done, you know, man, human transcriptions. Now with the, the great text-to-speech and the AI, most of the transcriptions I'm seeing are AI-generated, and they are really good. I, I'm so surprised at how good the uh, technology has gotten to make these transcriptions so good in such a short amount of time. So maybe if the same trajectory happens for video, we're, we have something. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, really looking forward to speaking with you again because this has been a great conversation and I hope you're enjoying the lovely weather down in Costa Rica. <laughs> Stay down there until about, you know, about May or something before you head back up north. <laughs> uh, we'll be back before then, but uh, yes, in the meantime, we will enjoy it. It's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure, Brent, and you're absolutely right on transcriptions. That's one of the keys to being able to... Um, create more efficiency around information. So it's amazing that you've noted that progression and uh, it's only going to continue getting better because there's more and more people using these technologies every single day. All right. And, and uh, say hi to Marcy and Tyler for me. I have Will to do. talk to her. It's been years since I've actually talked to her. So I got to touch base with her at some point. But thanks again. And thanks to everybody out there checking this out. And I will see you tomorrow for the CRM players. Until then, take care.